The opinions and views shared in this podcast are the opinions and views of the host and the host alone. They are not a reflection of his employer or any other organization that the host is a member of. The host does not speak for anyone, only himself. This is the I Am Pith Podcast. Get ready for contact. Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? Not in this context. I'm not a biologist. The meaning of the word woman is so unclear and controversial that you can't give me a definition? Senator, in my work as a judge, what I do is I address disputes. If there's a dispute about a definition, people make arguments, and I look at the law, and I decide. So I'm not... Vagina. Cooter. Snatch. Poontang. Axe wound. Muffin. Beaver. Coochie. The JJ. Lady Bits. That's how I define a woman. That's plain and simple. If you are born with certain plumbing, You are a woman. And of course, there are those anomalies in our world that might be born with both or might be born with some, but not all. But at the end of the day, there is only one way to really, truly define what a woman is. And if you are offended by any of those names that I just mentioned, oh, well, get over it, because that's what your kids are saying when you're not around. (laughs) Oh, man, what a circus. What a freaking circus. This America, this is what it keeps coming to. We don't know what bathroom to use, and now we don't know how to define a woman. So tell me, how is it that somebody that is so educated, a lawyer, and been working in law for so long, cannot define what exactly a woman is when she herself is a woman, a strong, proud woman? Well, you know what it is. Miss Katani Brown, the next selectee for a SCOTUS position. She is a woman, but she is also a leftist. Of course she is. Did you think actually Joe Biden was going to pick someone that was kind of center? Of course not. And of course he picks a woman that goes soft on pedophilia. So when his ass gets caught, you know, his sentence won't be as bad. Ah, But I'm digressing. Let me stay on topic. But the truth of the matter is. That the next Supreme Court justice, because she's probably going to get she's going to get in Miss uh, Miss Jackson. She is more than just a woman. She is a certified leftist. There is no other way to describe her and no other way to explain her unwillingness as educated as she is to say that she does not know the definition of a woman in this context. There is no other definition unless in. You're an extreme leftist. And see, the thing is, she doesn't want to isolate her base. She doesn't want to isolate the leftists. And so for her, it's not about justice. It's about politics. And my God, there goes that word again, politics. I hate politics because a tomfoolery like this bullshit, pardon my language, but my God, like, how could you not be upset? This is the person that is going to be sitting on the Supreme Court 
making decisions and rulings about about important cases that will impact our everyday lives in America. And she cannot, cannot and will not define what a woman is. This is Joe Biden's best pick. And see, this is what happens when you pick somebody. This is an affirmative action hire. The only reason she is in this situation and the only reason she is getting appointed, not saying that she's not qualified in other areas, but the only reason is because she has black skin and because she's on the left and she's going to do Joe Biden's bidding. That, that's it. Man, these Senate, these hearings are such garbage. I remember when Brett Kavanaugh came on, you know, they put him through the ringer over some bull crap over an, an alleged sexual assault from like what high school. It's been like 30, 40 years and it was never proven, never proven, man. This is, I see, our government is a joke. It's an absolute joke. It's a sham. There's no no wonder why China and Russia are doing what they're doing currently. I'm sure they're sitting over seas watching us looking like, ah, damn, this America is a hot mess. You got a Supreme Court, so soon to be Supreme Court justice who will not define what a woman is. How do we get here? And these are our supposed leaders. If I wanted to watch stuff like this back in the day, I would turn on Jerry Springer and Mari Povich. Now I could just turn on C-SPAN and the everyday news and watch the people that have been elected into office carry out this buffoonery of a circus in the name of America. Sweet baby Jesus in the name of Jehovah. Oh, Lord. Ah. Oh, man, I need to calm down. Like, I'm really, like, really mad, like, really pissed off. This this is unacceptable on any level. Yet, the left claims that they are feminists. The left claims that they love women. But at the same time, how can you claim to love and want to protect women when you cannot define what a woman is? And at the same time, how can you claim to love women, but you don't do anything to protect actual biological women from trans men, or excuse me, trans women, I don't know, trans women from Men that were born from, oh man, see, I'm getting all confused with my, I don't know. Jesus, man, it, it, it's, it's not this difficult. It's not. It's, there's men, there's women. Never in the history of mankind has anybody with a penis, with a cock, with a dick, ever given birth. Ever. Ever. And now we're trying to make it the norm where, you know, there is no gender and the lines are blurred. And they're doing a great damn job of it. But... It's just so funny how, like I said, they they want to protect women, but they will not do anything to protect actual women from the new breed of trans women. For example, Rachel Levin. We all know who she is or who she is. He is them. They oh God have mercy, man. I'm about to have an aneurysm. <laughs> I'm about to have an aneurysm. I, can't, I literally can't keep up. I really can't. And I'm to the point where I really just don't care. You know, but Rachel Levin, USA Today decides to make Rachel Levin, the World Health Federal Organization, first admiral, transgender, gender admiral, whatever you want to call it. They decided to make her the woman of the year or candidate for woman of the year. What an insult, man. What an insult. What about all the women in the world that were born women and have worked their asses off to get to the positions that they are to have this person 
come in and be like, oh, no, give me that trophy. I'll take that. They did this a few years ago with Bruce Jenner. Now, Caitlyn Jenner. How is that fair to anybody that was born a biological woman that's worked their ass off to get to these points and positions to have it snatched from them? All in this name of wokeness. And my question is, where are the actual women? When are they going to stand up and be like, yo, this is not acceptable? Or is it the fact that everybody's afraid to stand up and say anything because of the backlash that would come from speaking out against a transgender person? Dude, transgenders make up less than 1% of the population. So why are we as a country bending the knee? The 99.9% of us bending the knee to appease a small fraction of our population. Why? What, I mean, what does it benefit anybody? And don't get me wrong. That's not to say that I'm insensitive and I don't care about trans people. Dude, I support Rachel Levin. I support the swimmer in the NCAA right now, Leah Thomas. I support their right to be Americans and to make the choice to do with their bodies as their wish. If you are a man and you want to identify as a woman and you want to wear stockings and dresses and you want to go sleep with other men, I really don't care. I will defend your right to do so until the day I die, because I believe in the Constitution. I believe in freedom and liberty. And if that is how so you choose to live your life, I will defend your right to do so. I support Leah Thompson's transition. I support Rachel Levin's transition. I might not agree with it from a biblical standpoint or from a moral standpoint, but that is it don't matter. That is their personal choice. But do not sit here and tell me that it is okay for Leah Thompson, who's got freaking shoulders wider than the Appalachian Mountains, that it's okay for her to get into a pool with other biological women and dust all these chicks and set all these records. And not just that, think about the young girl who probably should have been there that's not, that got booted by her or him. Think about it. How is that fair? And now we have people actually coming to Leah Thompson's defense saying, you know, you never cared about women's sports before. Where were you? It don't matter. Just right is right. Wrong is wrong, people. We are. We, I'm not going to let you all sit here and blend the lines saying that, no, it's OK. There's no difference between biological men and women. Leah Thompson's actually a woman now. He's, she's been taking testosterone, uh, what, hormone treatments and therapies and her muscle mass is lightened. Dude. Have you seen the side-by-side comparison of Leah Thompson and the other swimmers? Come on, son. Come on, man. Look at them shoulders and legs and arms. You know, it's, I have a daughter. If my daughter decided to go swim, it's like, Dad, I want to be an Olympic swimmer. I'm going to support her. But if she gets to the Olympics, like a tri- Olympic trial, and there's a guy there that now identifies as a woman and he dusts her, and she loses a spot, the last spot, when that could have been her spot, how is that fair? My question, where are all the real true feminists? What point does the lunacy between the left and reality start to wake people up and people start saying, you know what? This isn't right. Something's wrong here. There's something wrong when you have biological men moving into women's sports and crushing them and just completely decimating the game for them and taking away opportunities from actual women that have worked hard. But yet the left continues to sign off on this. 
for an organization and for a political party that loves women, they sure don't seem to be doing anything to protect actual women. If anything, they're doing the exact opposite. They love trans women, but not actual women. For example, the Babylon Bee. The other day, the Babylon Bee ran a story that said Rachel Levin, the USA Today's <laughs> man of the year. And they put that on Twitter. And what did Twitter do? Woke Twitter goes and suspends the Babylon Bee's account. Why? Because of hate speech. It's insensitive because they call Rachel Levin a man, which Rachel Levin is. It's a man in a wig that now identifies as a woman. Listen, you can't change your biology. You can snip your balls, cut your, cut your, cut your, uh, cut your dong off. You can do all the things. But at the end of the day, like I heard Ben Shapiro say, when you die as a trans person and they put you in the ground and they come and they do an excavation and they discover your body like a thousand years later, they can tell what you were born as, as a man or a woman. It's plain and simple. You cannot debunk millions of years of evolution. You cannot debunk science. You can't. But you're trying to change it. it I, I don't understand. I really don't understand. You know, this, it's, this is lunacy, man. And it's just, it just continues to spiral out of control more and more every day. And if anybody should be, and if there's anyone or something we should be mad at, we should be mad at the NCAA for allowing this to happen. Now, I am not mad at Leah Thomas for competing against other women when she, where he was born at a biological man. But I am mad at the NCAA for allowing this to happen. And my thing is, I'm like, I'm waiting for all the female competitors in the NCAA and any other sport that's being played where there is now a trans person in there and just demolishing these young ladies. I'm waiting for them to step up and say something like rise up, man. Say like, I don't they can only do this when you let them. This only happens because you decided, you know what, I'm going to still compete. And I understand that passion to compete. But at some point in time, and you have to decide, you know what, this is wrong and we're not going to take this. And if you all stood up together and said, no, we're not doing this, Leah Thompson would be gone and all these other transgender athletes would be gone as well. But like the left has said over the last few years, silence is compliance. And to all the female athletes out there, your silence and you refusing to say anything you are complying and saying that all of this is okay. I can be mad all I want, but I don't have your athletic skills and I'm not a female. So I don't necessarily have a dog in the fight. I do have a daughter, but my daughter's only eight. So I'm not in this fight yet. But it would not be for me to speak up. It would be for my daughter to speak up and say, this is not right. And I would support my daughter in doing so. And I understand that, yeah. Maybe there's not a large pool of candidates to start a transgender sports league because they only make up a small percentage of the population. But I can understand a woman that's like, yo, I want to go play in the pros in the NBA or in the NFL. And if you, I have no problem going with, with you going from the D league to the C league to the B league to the A league and working your way up. But it don't work if imagine if freaking LeBron James decided, you know what? I'm a female now and I'm going to go into the NBA. Think about, <laughs> just think about it. Think about what would happen. Oh my God, he would be unstoppable. Completely unstoppable. 
I say there's nothing wrong with moving up to the next level of competition, but being able to drop yourself down to the lower level and compete and be able to be a supreme athlete because the competition is less because you have the biological advantage. My God, that's not right. And if we're going to do that, man, hell, we might as well let people take steroids to even, you know, to even even up the competition. Man, it's oh my God, dear God, America. You know, we are the laughing stock of the world. You know, we have it good over here in America where you can live in this kind of lunacy and just go on with your life. But you take somewhere over in Ukraine, man. I read a story the other day that said that Ukrainian government was forcing young trans women to actually fight because they need bodies. And now, you know, being woke is cool when there's no uh, no opposition. Being woke is great when you're not being invaded by a country next door that's bigger and much more powerful. You know, you sober up real quick and realize that wokeness does any does no one any favors. You know, maybe that's what we need over here in America to get us a little common sense back. Maybe we need somebody to invade us. But then again, if an, a communist invading force invaded America right now with our current politicians and population, yeah, they probably welcome. Them. Oh, my God. Thank you, Russia. Thank you, China. Oh, please show us the way of your people and the way of communism. This capitalism is horrible. I hate having Wi-Fi and I hate the freedom that I have. Put me in chains and don't let me own any property. I want to be a communist and a Marxist. I want you to control every facet of my life from the start of the day to the end of the day. And I really believe that most Americans, especially this younger generation, will just absolutely lay down and accept what these other countries would have in store for us. And that's a damn shame, man. You know, the United States of America has one great hope left. One. And that is the mighty fine state of Texas. My God, do I love Texas, man. I love Florida, too, but there's just something about Texas. I don't know. Texas is just Texas. And I was just there last week at a Black Rifle Coffee. I mean, I flew down to go do the uh, Black Rifle Coffee Medevac podcast and let me tell you, it is so good to just see people that I serve with. My homeboy, Randy Guerrero, shout out to him. He was my FO when I was in Iraq and my best friend over there. He was on uh, one of the earlier episodes and podcasts with me. So shout out to my dude for letting me come stay with him. And shout out to his children for letting me kick them out their room and stay in their room for the weekend. Man, what a great time, dude. I mean, and Black Rifle Coffee. So I have been a Black Rifle Coffee fanboy since day one i mean from the uh, from the get-go i have been on the brcc fan train and i am not getting off anytime soon so it has always been one of my dreams to go to black rifle coffee and just see production and just see everything and just see the offices so i go to san antonio i fly there last week to go do the medevac podcast which actually just posted today. So if you want to see my interview on the Medi Black Rifle Medevac podcast, just go to the Medevac podcast on YouTube and type in Dexter Pitts and it will pop up. And you'll be able to watch it, man. It was such a fun interview. But the best part, just when I got there to the door and I was walking up, there was a guy, an amputee in the uh, just in the parking lot. And I'm like, hey, I don't know where to go. And I was like, oh, my God, Derek Whiter. And I could have swore the dude was Derek Wider. It was not. And if you don't know who Derek Wider is, he is a 
amputee, lost his leg in uh, Iraq. He was with the 82nd Airborne. So I saw a white guy with one leg, and I um, automatically assumed it was him. In my defense, Derek Wider typically has a beard. This guy, his name's actually Derek Creever. He works with Black Rifle Coffee. <laughs> he was a good sport about it. He was like, no, I'm not Derek Wider. I was like, oh, my bad, homie. My bad, dude. <laughs> so he, to me, he looks like Derek Wider without the beard. He was like, Derek Wider is a little man. He's a tiny little amputee. I am a massive man, and he was a massive man. But uh, shout out to Derek Creever, man. Great dude, man. He lost. He's an Army officer. He lost his leg over in Iraq as well. So pardon me for getting my Caucasian amputees mixed up, fellas. But either way, still excited and amped to run and run into you. So, you know, he takes me inside and they show me the uh, studio where we're going to be doing the podcast. And so I got to sit on the Medivac podcast with, with Dave Reed and Christian Myers. Uh, Dave Reed, he's an amputee. He was a ranger in the Army. Lost his leg in Afghanistan. Christian Myers, he was in the Air Force and was on uh, flew as a part of the Black Hawk crews in the Air Force. Both absolutely phenomenal people, dude. I mean, everybody at Black Rifle was just absolutely phenomenal. But I definitely want to give a big, big, big shout out to uh, Dave and Christian man, for having me on the podcast. I mean, what an honor. What an absolute honor. I mean, they treated me so good, man. They treated me like I was just part of the Black Rifle family from from the moment I got there. And everybody at Black Rifle is just so chill. The environment, I can't even describe the environment. It's just, it's what you think it would be, a bunch of veterans, wounded, non-wounded. They just, if you know any veterans, just go hang out with your veteran friends, and you will get a quick understanding of what Black Rifle is like. So Black Rifle is exactly who they say they are and what you believe they are. And I will stand up for Black Rifle until the day I die. I know there was some controversy a couple of months ago about Kyle Rittenhouse and political stuff with Evan Hafer and all this bull crap. Let me tell you all something. If you have been following Black Rifle as long as I have and you know Black Rifle like I know Black Rifle, you would have known that all of that crap was BS and that that is not how these guys are. And these guys are not woke. And these guys are far from being on the left. Far from it. I mean, if, have you heard any of their podcasts from the start or when they were on Drinking Bros? No, most of you all probably have not. Like I said, I am a day one all in fan. And so when people say, man, F Black Rifle Coffee, you know, they're, they're liberal, they're woke. You have no clue what the hell, the hell you're talking about. So shut your damn mouth. You're missing out. You, ah, man. Like I said, these, all these guys are absolutely phenomenal. You know, when I was there, I was hoping to run into Matt Best, Evan uh, Hafer, and uh, Jared Taylor. But, of course, you know, they're, you know, they're busy, man. They're super out there running around doing their thing and running the company. So, But when I was getting ready to leave, I was at the airport, and I'm sitting there chilling with my black rifle, my uh, black rifle hat on. And I see this guy walk by past me and winks. And I look up. I'm like, oh, snaps. It's Jared Taylor. So I run up, you know, give him, I dap Jared Taylor up. And I was like, hey, man, I got something for you. I had my book with me because one of the guys that helped inspire me to write my book was like, dude, best advice I could give you, always make sure you have your book with you. And I had a couple extra in my backpack. And I was like, yo, JT, here's my book. Wish I could have signed it for you, homie. My bad. But they were getting on the same flight as me, getting ready to go to St. Louis to a rally car show. So me and him, I take a picture with Jared Taylor. He takes it and he uh, mentions me on his story, man. 
How dope, how cool is that, you know? Just normal guys, honestly, man. Normal guys that started something amazing. I mean, they ha- what what they have built with Black Rifle is just unbelievable. I mean, it it is beautiful. I mean, and the the people that they employ, veterans, I mean, you have Black Rifle has given veterans a home with their product and with their company. Man, and it's just absolutely beautiful, man. I I mean, I even met a guy on a line he hit, he hit me up after my uh podcast his name's Trey he works there and he's a former cop and not only that he and I were in Iraq at the same time I was in the 10th Mountain Division he was in the Louisiana National Guard his unit is the unit that relieved me and my unit and took over our AO small world man so I've been chatting with him he helps run all the Black Rifle uh coffee podcast social media so hey shout out to my dude my dude Trey and always glad to make a new friend, dude. But man, what an awesome trip, y'all! Y'all, I, y'all have no clue. Like I was just fan fanning out and geeking out the whole time. It was just such a good time, man. But even better, what really made this trip for me was my homeboy Randy and I decided to go In and Out Burger. You know, when you when you see an In and Out, you got to stop in, right? Not when there's Whataburger Burger next door. Nah, you don't need Whataburger. Burger. But go go to In and Out. That's all you need, man. So we went to In-N-Out, and while we were in In-N-Out, you know, this lady starts talking to me, and I'm, I'm ordering from the, the menu, and I'm like, let me get the animal-style fries. She's like, what are those? I was like, oh, let me tell you about that, you know, this, the whole In-N-Out secret menu. So we start chatting, and she asked, you know, I asked her, I was like, no, this is your first time here? She's like, no, I've been to In-N-Out a few times. I just didn't know about that. So she starts asking where I'm from. I'm like, hey, I'm from Kentucky. I'm in town. Uh, I'm going on the Black Rifle Coffee podcast to promote my book. And I start telling her about my book and how I got hurt in Iraq. And then she tells me, well, my son was actually killed in Iraq. And her uh, daughter was there, which was that would have been her brother that was killed in Iraq. And she told me his name and she told me the story. And I want to take a moment to share his story with you all. It's from the uh, Fallen, uh, the Military Times, the Faces of the Fallen. If you've been listening to the show anytime, you know that one thing I love to do is I love to highlight our fallen soldiers and our fallen officers, especially especially a meeting like this. You know, it's just it just so happened to happen. And it was great. It really made my trip. So the lady, she told me her son's name. His name was uh, Army Sergeant First Class Jonathan Tesser. Sergeant First Class Tesser was 36 years old and he was from Simi Valley, California. He was assigned to the 2nd Battalion, 502nd Infantry Regiment of the 2nd Brigade Combat Team with the 101st Airborne Division out of Fort Campbell, Kentucky. He was killed on October 31st, 2005, while serving in Operation Iraqi Freedom. Uh, He was killed when an IED detonated next to his Humvee in Mamadiyah, Iraq. And if you've listened to the show before, you know Mamadiyah, Iraq. That's part of the Triangle of Death in the Sunni Triangle in Iraq. So that's where a bunch of my buddies, well, not my buddies, but a bunch of people that I was familiar with from Bravo Company 431 that were kidnapped in the Triangle of Death back in 2007. And my buddy, a guy I knew, Sergeant Stephen Packer, was killed looking for those guys in the Triangle of Death. But what made this also tragic was it was not just Army Sergeant First Class Tesser that died. There were other guys that died with him. One was Specialist William J. Byler. Uh, PFC David Martin and a private Adam R. Johnson. And so the mom was telling me the story and 
he was actually getting ready to get out of the military. This was going to be his last deployment and he had served over 20 years and he was ready to be done. And he had a wife and two kids, uh, I believe three kids, if I remember correctly. Yeah, but he just got to Iraq. They had only been in Iraq a couple weeks when this ID went off and killed him and his buddies. So, man, what a story. You know, and I just remember after that, I just hugged the mom and the sister. I held them in my arms for a second and just thanked them for their sacrifice. And that is something we have to remember to do in this country, regardless of how you feel about the war in Iraq or Afghanistan, the politics behind it or, you know, the big money government and all that stuff, man. We have to push that stuff aside and learn to honor our veterans and our heroes because we don't get to decide the wars we fight. We don't. All we get to do is go over there and make sure that we look out for our brothers. I mean, politics, we don't you don't care about politics when you're getting shot at and you don't care about politics when every step you take could be your last step. I never cared about politics when I was over there. But, man, we have to keep these guys memories alive. And there are thousands of them, over 7000 men and women that have died in the global war on terror that paid the ultimate sacrifice for our country and for us. So we have to continue to remember these people as much as possible. So I want to go ahead and take a moment of silence for Sergeant First Class Tesser and the men and the men that died with him that day in Iraq. Yeah, thank you all very much for taking part in that moment of silence with me. But let's remember to keep these individuals memories alive. So they may be gone, but they will never be forgotten. Not as long as I have the First Amendment and not as long as I got a microphone and a computer. I will do whatever it takes to always try to bring honor to those that have paid the ultimate sacrifice for our country and for our freedom so that we can sit here in America and be confused about what bathroom to use. You know, where else in the world you're going to get that? Nowhere else. I dare you to go try it elsewhere. And, you know, and just as quick as that trip to San Antonio, Texas started, I was right back in the crap in Louisville. Man, it didn't even seem like it was a long enough of a trip i need I, I needed more time but man i mean i got off the plane and went right back into the madness in the streets of louisville the following day you know and i had to take care of some appointments and stuff but it was back to the hustle and grind of being a louisville police officer and man the hustle and grind has just been rough lately i don't know what it is man but oh my lord the mundaneness and i mean this the protesting the stress it's just putting on the uniform nowadays just stresses me out and I still love the job and I still love what I do. But my God, it's just I don't know. It's just been really, really rough, man. There's so much going on in this city. And I had a nightmare scenario the other day when I got off oh, right before I got off. The worst scenario in my life I could have imagined. I get called to a traffic accident. It gets comes out as a 1050. That means that there's an injury accident. So I get there and I got two groups of people. I got one group of people Hispanic, one group of people black, and nobody speaks English. Oh, Jesus. Man, I'm over here trying to figure out what's going on with this car accident. They yelling at each other in different languages, and I'm sitting here trying to referee like, man, I don't know what the hell anyone is saying. Thank God we had an interpreter from each organization. So 
my ass is sitting here stuck between Spanish and Swahili. Yes, I was in the Border Patrol. No, I really don't speak Spanish. Yes, I have black skin like somebody that might speak Swahili, but my black ass don't speak Swahili. And so I'm just sitting there like, man, my head is about to explode. Everybody's pulling on me, asking me questions. I'm like, man, I'm trying to figure out who was at fault. And the language barrier, it was an absolute nightmare. Dude, I was ready to quit. I was absolutely just ready to walk off. I was going to try to go the lazy route. Hey, won't you just exchange information, let your insurance companies figure it out? Because I wasn't getting anywhere with it, man. But lo and behold, I did the right thing. And I took the time to try to get everybody to be quiet on each side and just let the interpreters talk. But no matter what, <laughs> there was somebody that wanted to interrupt. And so I finally was able to kind of just figure out what happened. Also, with the assistance of my partner, my boy, Matt Montano, shout out to you. Thank you for keeping me level and calm because I was about to lose my mind. Man, it was just a rough day. You know, and then not even that. Uh, my partners had a run where they had to take a report for a stolen vibrator. And I wish I had been there on that one. That would have been a lot better to deal with. I can ask those questions to a victim. What color was your vibrator? How big was it? Lengthwise inches? Uh, what were the settings on it? What was the highest setting? What was the lowest setting? I could have had fun with that one all day. Although the lady that filed the report, oh, Jesus. They said she was cool. But when I got there, she was not cool. I mean, she was giving it to the dude at the front desk at this at this uh business and she was just ah, nah, 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 nah. and I'm sitting here trying to talk to the manager on the phone with the guy from the front desk and I end up having to yell at this woman for the love of god would you please be quiet yeah and I don't know how she got there to that place and I don't know who brought her there but I do know why she was left alone my god she had a mouth on her oh it was horrible I couldn't imagine being a married man and coming home to that just in your ear all day. Like she just would not stop. Oh, man. It just it just added to the fuel. <laughs> it just added to the fire of what was going on. So, you know, I had to push through all of that. And, you know, I decided, you know what I'm going to do, man? I'm going to go to my little favorite spot, my little store on my beat. And I'm going to go hang out and take a breather, get a little something to drink. So I go to the little store on my beat that I like to hang out at. And while I'm in there, this black guy approaches me and he hands me a card. He's like, hey, man, you need to check this out, brother. So I'm looking at it. It's a card to a cult. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I have I got my first ever cult invitation. I got invited to a cult. And in my current mindset at that point in time, I was really considering joining. I was going to do it. I was going to do it. I mean, what did I have to lose at this point in time? I was stuck between a, two people arguing in Spanish and Swahili. And then this crazy chick arguing about her vibrator being stolen all up in my ear. But this man presented me with an opportunity to live a new life and be a new being with the Yahweh Ben Yahweh cult, which I had never heard of. But, man, he was like, let me tell you something, brother. You know, things could be better. Come join us. And 
I was like, you know, I was like, what? what number one, my first thought when I saw him, I was like, he's a black Hebrew Israelite. And I asked him, I was like, this black Hebrew Israelites? Nah, you need to look at the website yourself. You need to figure it out for yourself, but we are legit. So I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go do some research, man. So I started doing research. And no, I was not really about to join people. It's a freaking joke. Uh, no, I'm not joining the Yahweh bin Yahweh's. But man, it was actually very, very, very interesting. So I did a little deep dive, a little dig on the Yahweh bin Yahweh cult. So the Yahweh bin Yahweh cult, they were led by a guy named Yahweh bin Yahweh, whose actual name, he's a black guy named Hulan Mitchell Jr. And he was born on October 27th, 1935. He was one of 15 children. And his parents was were the ministers at Antioch Church of God in Christ in Inland, Oklahoma. So after he grows up, he leaves home and he joins the military. And after the military, he goes to law school and moved to Atlanta, Georgia, where in the 1960s, he joined the Nation of Islam and took on the name Hulan X. And after leaving the Nation of Islam in the late, late 1960s, he became a faith healing Christian preacher and named himself Father Mitchell. Fashioning himself after the after Father Divine and Samuel, Father Jehovah Morris and two African-American ministers and self-proclaimed divine connections to God who were active during the early 20th century. And Mitchell arrived in Miami and Florida in 1978, where he gathered members of the city's black Hebrew Israelite congregation and founded the nation of Yahweh. Now, the nation of Yahweh, from what I found Man, they started to grow big. And I mean, they started to develop and build a lot of stuff and had a ton of money in Miami. So these dudes, they grew big, fast and out of control in a hurry. And Yahweh Ben Yahweh got so popular in Miami that the mayor of Miami declared ben Yahweh Ben Yahweh Day on October 7th of 1990. And this was a month before the man got indicted. And what was he invited, indicted for, Dex? Well, let me tell you. Although Mitchell's followers remained devoted to him, he was in trouble with the law by the 1990s. Between 1990 and 2001, he served 11 years and 18-month sentence on a RICO case. And if you don't know what a RICO case in law enforcement, that is called a Racketeering Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act, where that's a charge where they go after these large-scale organizations involved in criminal activities. And the, ben, the Yahweh Ben Yahweh's were big into the criminal element, man. And not only that, there were several other nation of Yahweh members who were convicted of conspiracy for their role in more than a dozen murders. And it gets even better. A former NFL player named Robert Rosier was a dedicated member of the Yahweh Ben Yahweh's. This man confessed to seven of the murders. And Mitchell faced conviction only for conspiracy to murder. A primary component of the prosecution case was Rosaire, who testified in return for a lighter sentence. Rosaire later entered the witness protection program, but returned to prison on, on a sentence of 25 years to life under California's three, three strikes law. Man, what a wild story. But uh, so Yahweh Ben Yahweh, Mr. Mitchell, he was released on parole in 2001 and returned to Miami, Miami. But his activities were strongly restricted until a few months before his death. So he did end up dying shortly after that, man. He uh, died in uh, 2006 after developing a uh, pancreatic cancer. But, you know, who wouldn't want to join that cult? Especially after the day I'd been having. 
it sounded glorious, man. I saw the white gown and the the flowy flowy uh, beard and the afro. I was like, hell yeah, brother. I'm about I'm down to, I'm down to join the Ben Yahweh's. And it was so funny. So I see this guy at the store, and my homeboy Wood Black French Stavante. What's up, my man? <laughs> Me and him Wood are at the store chilling, talking to the guy. So you know the guy goes about his way. Then I decide to leave. And then we get called on a dead body. And so my boy, we go to where the dead body's at. And I'm sitting there chilling. And I leave the apartment complex where the body's at. And I'm going back to my car. And as I'm going back to my car, I see the same guy that invited me to the cult. You know, and at this point in time, I was like, you know, I'm about to join this cult, man. Why not? So the guy stops me and starts talking to me. And I'm like, hey, man, I did some research. And I was looking into, your, you know, the, the, the Yahweh bin Yahweh's. He was like, yeah, it's good stuff, isn't it? I was like, yeah, it's good stuff, man. Just kind of playing into him and. Just kind of going along with the flow with the conversation. And he looks at me dead serious and stops and looks around, make sure nobody's around. It's like, hey, man, let me tell you something. I said, what's that, sir? Man, you know how we can stop all this police violence and all these killings out here? I was like, what's that? We need all black police officers. I was like, why do you say that? Because white people don't know how to think. These motherfuckers, <laughs> these motherfuckers don't know how to think whatsoever. But black people, black men, we know how to think. And so I stopped him. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on one second, bro. What do you mean white people don't know how to think? He was like, white people are incapable of thinking. And I was like, well, that's not true. And this moment I said that, I just saw him in his mind pick up my invitation and just shred it down the middle. And he did not like when I said that. And I stood up for my white homeboys, my, my fellow white officers. I was like, Dude, you can't just come here, invite me to your cult and shit on my homeboys because they're white, you know. So, and so I guess I am not going to be joining the Yahweh Ben Yahweh cult because my invitation was rescinded because I decided to stand up for Whitey and that put my foot on Whitey's neck. You know, it's I, I'm okay with that. I'm absolutely okay with that, man. Just damn, how racist is that? How racist? Hot damn, that's racist. <laughs> Man, like these white motherfuckers don't know how to think. Like That's like his first thought. Like, that's how we're going to fix all the problems in the world. Just take white people out of everything. Okay. You know, I see, I see where he's going with that. You know, these crackers are the scorn of the earth, brother. I just can't get down with it, man. I just can't. You know, and I told him how I've seen more white officers save black lives than any other thing in my 13 years on the police department. You know, it just goes to show how people live in these bubbles and live in their own world. And, you know, to them, the truth, that's the truth and nothing else. They don't want to hear what else you got to say. And thank God. This is why I love the veteran community. I talked about it on the uh, Black Rifle uh, Medevac podcast and, and why I love law enforcement officers because we literally don't care about the color of your skin. Despite what the news media tells you and what social media tells you, the men and women I surround myself with are officers of integrity they are veterans that have served honorably and they only care what kind of fruit are you producing and are you cool when the chips hit the fan are you going to be there for me there's nothing else that we think of or care about we really don't you transgender that's cool bro you got my back all right let's go do the thing at the end of the day that's really it of course there's going to be minor differences but we don't let our minor differences you know divide us that's that's not a thing we are able to come together as a group and focus on a single goal. 
That is why I love being a part of the veteran community and the law enforcement community, because we are a special breed of people. We seem like the only breed of people currently today that have common sense. And I know not all of us have common sense within this profession, but I don't hear common sense coming from any of our politicians on the left or the right. And if they are, there's very few in between. But I know where I'm standing on all this stuff. And, you know, there, there are veterans and there are officers. That, a lot of us are mostly conservative. We are. But there's also a lot of officers I know that are not conservative. They're more so liberal. But that doesn't matter. At the end of the day, they're still cool because they still got my back and I got their back. You know, like I said, there's small differences we might not agree on. But at the end of the day, that's not really we don't focus on what divides us, man. We focus on what unites us. The rest will figure itself out. You know, you know we've gotten to this place in American society where it's like I feel like we're going to have to go underground as conservatives and have like this underground conservative movement. And we're going to have like underground railroad channels and underground meetings because man, it is just so. I mean, the tension just you just don't know nowadays, man, with with the people you're talking to, what they believe and if they're how they're going to view you and what they're going to think about you. You know, I took my kids out the other day to the trampoline park on my first day off. And so, when I, you know, we get to the trampoline park. I'm proudly sporting my Black Rifle Coffee shirt that I was gifted by Black Rifle Coffee. I love you. Hey, I'm going to wear that shirt loud and proud, dude. I don't care what anyone says to me about wearing that shirt. So, you know, I walk in. It's almost like a beacon of, hey, I'm conservative. I'm safe. And as soon as I walk in, you know, a couple people, hey, bro, I like that shirt. I went back at him. Yeah, you like that, don't you? Like, yeah, we, know you, we got that. You know, we see eye to eye. I'm here with you. You know, so we got, I go about my business. I'm jumping. I go get my kids some of the drink. Got them a little bit of that ghetto juice from the uh, from the bar. So get them a little sugary high. And so I'm sitting there and this uh, white lady, probably in her well, mid to late 20s comes up to me she's sitting there i'm sitting at the table and she's looking at me and i'm like oh god i ain't gonna lie i automatically start to jump to the conclusion she don't like my shirt and i was like man here we go but i was ready and so i i misjudged her she looks at my shirt she's like is that that conservative coffee company and i was like probably yes it is yes it is and I was waiting for fireworks, but she surprised me. She saw that Black Rifle Coffee logo as a beacon of freedom, and she saw it as a welcome. Hey, I love that shirt, and I love that company. I was like, oh, thank God, because I did not feel like having to cuss somebody out at the trampoline park for getting on me for liking Black Rifle Coffee. Oh, man, but no, she was super cool. And it's... Isn't it crazy how in American society today you wear a certain shirt out and you get suspicious and curious of how people are viewing you? Dude, I never cared before what people thought about me what I wore, you know, when I wore a shirt or the attention it would bring me, man. Like this is where we are in American society today. So that, that that's bizarre. A shirt can invoke so much emotion, but at the same time that shirt can also be like, "Hey, I'm cool. I'm on your side. I'm just like you. You know, it's <laughs> man, it's oh, wow. You know, but, you know, we sat and talked and she's telling me, you know, how you know, she's very conservative. Her husband served 
and the military. And I was just telling her about my book and how I went down to Black Rifle Coffee. And, and it was just such a natural and organic conversation. A big black guy like me and a, t- you know, a tiny little white lady. Never known, never known each other, never met each other, but are able to hit it off. But the media would make it seem like, you know what? I should be cautious of this white woman, of this white Karen, because she's going to, you know, uh, she's racist. And that's not the case. The average person out here ain't racist. The average person out here really don't give a damn what you think for the most part and just wants to be left alone. But, man, it is so nice to run into somebody in this day and age that has a lot of the same political ideals and beliefs and ideologies and a lot of the same religious beliefs. But at the same time, the one thing that makes America beautiful is the fact that all of us are so different. You know, that I mean, she could have been a completely different person than me. And I'm still open to listening to you and talking with you and possibly forming a friendship with you. you know, but the fact that you might not agree with some of the stuff I believe is absolutely OK. But if we can't be friends because of something I disagree with that you know sends you to a frenzy, there's no, there's nothing between us. There's no friendship to be had. So, you know, it was just a really good conversation and a good reminder that. People are just people, no matter the skin color. And man, people want to be left alone. And people want you to leave their children alone. At the end of the day, that's like one of the biggest battles we have going on right now is leave my kids out of this. You know, they're trying to teach kids sex about sex in like second, third, fourth grade. Like why? Leave my children alone. You leave my children alone and I will let you have your life. I promise but if you keep coming at my kids, uh-uh, all bets are off. Gloves are coming off. No, you, you're putting yourself in danger when you mess with my babies, man. So that's been the biggest thing for me with all this craziness going on here in, like, not even just, like, the, the country, but just in, in Kentucky as well, especially in Louisville and in Jefferson County. Like, this, this city just continues to fall apart. We are in March. It is March 24th today on the day I'm recording this. We have 41 homicides in Louisville right now. 41. We're in March. We are probably going to beat our homicide record from last year. And that was 189, I believe. So we are well on our way to make it beating the record. And I think we'll I think we're going to break 200 bodies this year. And man, that honestly, that breaks my heart having to say that like I ne- that's not the Louisville I love and not the Louisville I want to serve in. But my God, man, talk about street cred, dude. Get bodies, son. It's just it's so sad. It's just death everywhere. And it's just like, you know what? I'm here. I'm going to do my best, but there's nothing I can do. And, you know, you always wonder how does a city like Louisville go from being so prosperous and nice? Like I remember before the riots happened and before I left in 2018, Louisville, man, was bussing. It was so popular every weekend. It was buzzing with people. and It was so fun. Working downtown was phenomenal. It didn't even feel like work. It, it was just a different atmosphere. And the police department was a different culture then. Yeah, but now the Louisville I've come back to and the police department I come back to completely flipped. Not even the same in what it used to be. It's not even a shell of itself. I don't know what it is now. It just I just know what it is now is not something I can be proud of on either level. You know, I'm proud to wear the uniform because I, the work I've done, but I am not proud of 
what the police department has become now. It's it's not something I want to co-sign on. Like we as police departments and police administrators should not be playing identity politics. But for some odd reason, police departments and police leadership love to play into the wokeness. And you know what wokeness has got us? Record breaking homicide numbers. And it just continues to happen. And it's just heartbreaking. I mean, I went on the uh, Failure to Stop podcast the other day, last week, with the Mike the Cop and Eric Tanzi, man. Shout out to both of those guys doing good things. If you don't, go ahead and go follow the Follow to Stop podcast. Follow Eric Tanzi and follow Mike the Cop. Dude, talk about hilarious and just putting out the truth and putting out the info, man. These guys, they had me on the show. And I mean, man, you know, they what they what they do, you know, they're no longer cops. And so they are speaking freely. And me, I told them, hey, I'm going to speak freely because I'm an employee at the Louisville Metro Police Department, not a slave. But I always give a disclaimer before I do the show. So, you know, I get on the Failure to Stop podcast and they're talking about former LMPD officer Katie Cruz, who is now being federally indicted in reference to the shooting at 26 and Broadway during the 2020 riots in which Yaya, the barbecue man, was shot and killed, not by a cop, but by a National Guardsman. Katie Cruz, she was the officer that fired pepper balls during the incident and struck Yaya's niece. And so now she's facing federal prison time. But my question is, like, you know, where's the leadership? Where are the individuals on the police department that sent those officers there? And I feel like she's being thrown to the wolves, man. And it just breaks my heart because... That's not she didn't go there with the intention to just hurt people and mess people up. That's no. She went to go do her job and do as she was told to do. And when you do your job and do as you're told by command and then command just kind of, you know, leaves you out in open water. That's disheartening for any officer. That's disheartening for me. It's like, how am I supposed to trust you when you won't even back me when I followed your orders? You know, so, I mean, on the on the failure to stop podcast, I mean, Mike, the cop and Eric Tanzi, I ain't gonna lie. They were shitting on my leadership and my chief. You know what? I'm I'm I have no problem with that because I feel like it is 100 percent percent deserved. I mean, (laughs) there's no other way around it. Now, me personally, I am not going to shit on my chain of command directly like that. But I will say this. I might not shit on them directly, but I will definitely, definitely fart in their direction and i hope they get a big whiff of it when i do because there's just no reason and there's no way that because you're on a police department and you're a leader and you have certain rank and you have a certain title that you should feel like you are above any officer on the line and that you can't tolerate criticism and that is where we have are now i feel like on this department and just in general in our country our leaders are untouchable, man. And, you know, and Angle, I was thinking, I was like, man, did I cross the line with this podcast? And I thought to myself, no, I didn't. You know why? The First Amendment. And if anything, I'm going to continue to do what I do because I feel like it is important that somebody speaks up and says something. Somebody in uniform has to speak up and say this isn't right. And you know what? Surprisingly, except my police department's not said a word to me about the podcast, about the book or anything. And to me, it almost it's almost more of an insult to me. The fact that they've not said a word to me that that's almost more of an insult. But at the same time, I'm like, you know what? It is what it is. I'm going to keep doing what I do until somebody says something to me. But the thing is, I don't come out here to be disrespectful and make my police department look like crap. 
that's not that's not my mo this is my home I love the Louisville Metro Police Department. I love the men and women that serve here. I love the citizens in the city, but I do not love. Excuse me, I'm not going to say I don't love. I don't trust the leadership currently at the top of the police department or at this in the city. I just don't look at where we are now versus where we are a few years ago. This is where leadership has gotten us. Excuse me. Lack of leadership has gotten us. And we have now now have officers becoming political prisoners for politics. So you tell me how I'm am supposed to feel. You tell me, hey, go out here and be active and start making traffic stops when there is a more of a risk now of getting into something and becoming a political prisoner because we already seen it. If they get the chance, man, they're going to throw me to the wolves. So I'm not going to open myself up to such, you know, to such things happening to myself. And it's a damn shame because knew who's suffering because of this? The citizens. The citizens always suffer. I've said it on the show time and time again. And it's a damn shame. But for some odd reason, I don't know why people continue to vote as they do. And people are not up in arms about the number of homicides in the city and the number of kids getting killed. I mean, we had a kid that got shot last night in Louisville. No protest, though. Not a word. Not a peep. You know, and. I heard I'm not going to say the name of the person, the leader, because I believe, you know, there are some things on the police department that are sacred. So when I'm in the roll call room and we close the door and we're having a conversation, that doesn't necessarily need to get out. And who said it? But I will say I was disheartened by a leader on the police department that I heard say, say this, go out there, do your job, guys, do the right thing. You're going to be okay. And you know what? Hey, there's nothing we could do about these homicide numbers. When I heard that, I almost lost my shit. There's nothing we could do about these homicide numbers. And then I turn around and then I see an article from WHAS 11 that says increasing traffic stops could reduce crashes, violent crime. Louisville police chief says traffic stops keep the road safe but law enforcement officials said it also gives them an opportunity to find illegal drugs and weapons the louisville metro police department is making roughly half the amount of traffic stops now that than when they were a decade ago and the police chief said this is contributing to the spike in violent crime lmpd chief erica shields said increasing the number of traffic stops will reduce crash related injuries and deaths she also said it could help lower louisville's violent crime Bruh, we have been saying this forever, ever since all this bull crap started with Breonna Taylor and all this. Oh, they pulled me out the car because I'm black and we started playing woke politics and then we started targeting officers. And guess what happened? Officers pulled back. We said, you know what? Hey, we won't pull. We won't do traffic stops then. And what happens? Black people started dying. And where are y'all at? Why aren't y'all doing more traffic stops? Remember my show last week? Damned if we do, damned if we don't. This article and this type of crap from the police chief is exactly why we have what we have going on in the city. Our city leader leaders created this vacuum and created all the deaths and all this crap we have going on. Ask any street level officer. The way to prevent crime is to police proactively and aggressively. That's the only way. 
you are not going to nicely get crime down. It just doesn't work. You can't fight a monster being a good boy. It doesn't work. You have to become a bit of a monster, but you have to become a monster with morals. You can't lose your moral compass. And yes, we have to do the right thing. Yes, hold us accountable. But at what point are we going to hold our city leaders accountable that led us into this mess? I am not the smartest man in the world. I am not a rocket scientist. There are a lot of people in this police department that are smarter than me. There's a lot of stuff that goes on above me that I don't know of and that I am not aware of and that I probably won't understand. But there is never a wrong time to do the right thing. And the right thing in this is to stop persecuting officers on bullcrap charges. Stop looking for officers to make mistakes and hem them up and call them racist. This is a hard job. And we are only making it harder to serve our citizens. And we are giving criminals more of an out, more opportunities as opposed to anything else. You know what? We want to change the police department. And I get it. And I understand. Yes, there are things that need to be updated, things that could be better. But how dare you change the police department? But you are not willing to change yourself and you're not willing to change the culture of the community in which you live. And so when you have out of control crime. And you want more police officers. Don't come crying to me saying, well, now y'all are policing too hard. Now y'all aren't policing enough. I'm tired of playing this dance. And so, you know what we do? We pull back. You call 911, we'll come. We are a completely reactive force right now. Yes, we have a couple units out there going out and hitting traffic stops on special details. But, dude, that used to be the norm on this police department. I remember when I started in 2010, I mean, in 2011, 12 and 13, we would go have roll call at like Amy and Market Street in the dead of the hood in the middle of the parking lot. And our sergeants would give us a speech. There's people out here that need to be served. There's criminals. Hey, go get them, man. We would have that rolling roll call. Then we would go out and hit the streets. And I mean, we would hit it hard. I mean, we were getting guns, drugs, and this isn't a specialized unit. This is just your everyday, ordinary, regular street police officer. Just going out and hitting it hard, man. That's what this department used to be. Now we come to work and we just we're firefighters. We sit and wait for the radio to call us because it is just not safe politically to go out and be an aggressive police officer because you run a risk of be going to jail for the rest of your life for doing your job. That's scary. And then not only that, yeah, we can increase the number of traffic stops we're doing, but our system is broken, ladies and gentlemen. What is the point in doing all this work when we take these people to jail and the court system and the judges refuse to persecute these people and let them back out to harm the community? I feel like I'm beating a dead horse because I've said this on this on this podcast so many times, but that is the reality of the situation. Look what just happened in St. Louis last. You know, there was an individual in St. Louis that tried to carjack a police officer and the D.A. refused to press charges. I, think about it. Let's let it set in. A man goes up to a police officer in a police car, tries to carjack him. He does not succeed and gets arrested. And the district attorney decides that she is not going to prosecute him. When you live in a place that's lawless and there's no one 
ever held accountable, you're going to continue on the same path and the same trajectory. And you're not going to change your life because there's no consequences for your decisions. So you just continue on. But when you have the good guys, the law enforcement officers out there holding the line between peace and chaos, trying to catch the monsters that would do you and your family harm, but you want to hold them accountable and burn them at the stake. That's how you end up with the homicide epidemic. That's how you end up with crazy numbers and an increase in the crime, violent crime. All of us working the streets see this. Dude, anybody watching the news see this. But for some odd reason, our leadership does not see this. And that's across the board in the country. So they just continue to play the identity politics, play the political games, just go with the whole racial discrimination thing. And the people continue to suffer. But some odd reason, Y'all keep voting these fools in. I don't know why. I don't know what it is. But you know what? Not my problem. I don't live here. I come here for 12 hours a day to work and I give you the best service possible when you call me. And if I see you do something in front of me that's egregious or see you hurt somebody, I am going to do my job and I am going to protect that person and I'm going to take you to jail. Plain and simple. But. Going out here and hunting the evil like I used to, I wish to God I could. I miss the policing we used to do on this police department. I really do. And I want to believe that it can come back. But a part of me is starting to believe that that all this is just the new normal and that this is just the way it is going to be now. But that could change with the upcoming election. But I just don't think the citizens of Louisville want that. I, I guess they're just so used to the chaos and destruction that they don't know how to live without it. And so they continue to vote chaos and destruction in. And it's not just here. You know, I talked to a police officer from San Francisco last night. You know, this guy's been on San Francisco for a little bit of time. You know, and he's a sergeant. He was telling me uh, most officers don't live in the city of San Francisco because it's so bad. He says that there are officers on the San Francisco Police Department that live in Texas and Arizona and they fly into San Francisco work for the week and then fly back for their days off. And that's because the money is so good, but the cost of living is so bad and that the politics are so left leaning and crazy in San Francisco. (laughs) So they fly in and get their money. Then they fly back out. And every single major city that is ran by Democrats right now in America is the same across the board. They are all in the same boat. I mean, just crime out the wazoo, drugs. I mean, crazy people running around in the streets and officers stressed out, afraid and overworked. And there is nothing being done about it. Nothing being done. But like I said before, don't let the far left now try to get hard on crime and make it seem like they're the ones that are going to solve this problem that they created because they have no intention of doing so. So to all my men and women wearing uniform, dude, listen to me. I love this job. I love this profession. There is nothing or no one that's ever going to make me want to stop being a cop or stop serving the people I swore to serve. No one's going to stop me. But be smart and be careful when you put on that uniform and go to work. Because I have learned that it is not about just doing the right thing. It is about doing the thing that is most optically appealing. That's what it's all about. No, everything in this line of work is about optics. You do something. Yeah. 
you could be you might be right. But if it looks bad on TV and it looks bad for politics, they are going to hang your ass out to dry. So do what your career can handle and do what your career can afford. Me personally, like I said, I love being a cop. I'm not going to I'm not going to stop being in this profession. I'm not. I, I, I absolutely love it. It's in my blood. And I believe somebody has to be out there to face the evil. Somebody has to. All of us can't hang up our badges and our gun belts and just walk away because who's going to protect my family when I'm away protecting your family? So that's why I stay doing this. You know, I believe in this profession. I believe in this country and I believe in the American populace. But at some point in time, we're going to have to wake up from this drunken stupidity that we are suffering right now and realize what is at stake. And so I'm going to stay in the profession. I'm going to continue the fight. Plain and simple. And, you know, there is a legacy of officers that have come before me that I want to make proud. And there are many officers who have died wearing this uniform that I feel that I owe it to them to do the right thing when in this uniform and to have the integrity and to protect the integrity of the badge in this profession. When this, you know, this profession has been under attack for the last few years, and I'll be damned if I'm going to do anything to tarnish this badge or make those that have come before me ashamed that I ever worn it. And so before I get ready to get off here, you know, today's uh, August 24th, but she's not August. My God, <laughs> today is March 24th, but uh, I was going to do a show yesterday, but got a little preoccupied. But uh, before it's too late, I want to go ahead and do a remembrance for fallen Louisville Metro Police Department officer Peter Grignon, who was killed in Louisville, Kentucky on March 23rd, 2005. You know, I was in I was at home at the time, actually. I was home on a convalescence leave after being hurt in Iraq. And I remember I was at my best friend Jeff's house and I remember seeing the news story about an officer in Louisville being killed. And at that point in time, I, you know, I didn't really know anything about policing. and I, I had no desire to be a police officer. I just remember seeing the news story like, oh, that sucks. And just kind of flipping and going on with my life. But after I decided I want to become a police officer and then after I swore an oath and signed into the police department and graduated from the police academy. And then I hit the streets in my uniform and I was assigned to the same division where Officer Grignan was shot and killed in the second division. You know, I remember riding with my field training officer, uh, Officer Mason. And I remember we're cruising down Cane Run Road and he's, I'm going to take you somewhere. I want to ask you a question. And we turn on the Acacia Drive and it's in a little residential neighborhood small houses and you know it's real quiet we're sitting there and he's like what do you think of this neighborhood and i tell him it's nice it's quiet he was like you think anything bad could happen here like no doesn't seem like it and then he pulls up points to this little memorial he was like that's where officer peter grignon was killed goes to show pitts you never let your guard down you don't just because the place looks nice when you're in this uniform you have to stay alert Cause it can happen anywhere at any time. You know, we get on the, we, you know, people have this illusion that because you live in a certain zip code or area code that, or because you police there, that nothing's going to happen. Dude, this job has taught me that no matter where you are, it can pop off and happen at any time, you know? And that's when I first felt the connection to, you know, the Louisville Metro police department and to officer Peter Grignon, 
and it's every year we do a little memorial and a ceremony for him. And when I started this podcast last year, I didn't get the chance to honor him. So I would like to take the time now to to honor Officer Peter Allen Grignon. And I'm going to read his uh his story from the uh, Officer Down Memorial. It said, Officer Peter Grignon was shot and killed while investigating an accident in which a car was seen driving through a homeowner's yard on Acacia Drive. Officer Grignon responded to, to the scene at approximately 0630 hours. After a short search, he located the suspect suspe- suspected vehicle burning nearby. Moments later, he was confronted by two subjects and shot twice in the head and neck. One of the suspects then committed suicide. The second suspect was taken into custody. He was transported to the University of Louisville Hospital, where he succumbed to his wounds about two hours later. Officer Grignon had served with the Louisville Metro Police Department for two years and was assigned to the 2nd Division. He is survived by his wife and his parents. His wife at the time, Rebecca Grignon, she is still around and still active. She is one of the sweetest and just greatest people. She works with us here in Louisville on the Louisville Metro Police Foundation and does a lot of fundraising and does so much for police officers. So, Rebecca, if you are listening, God bless you. You know, Peter's still with you. And man, I'm, I, anytime I hear his name, I always think about you. And I am thankful that you are still here serving the Louisville Metro Police Department in the capacity in which you do. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for all you do for us. I don't know if you get it enough. I don't know if you will never be forgot. And Peter's sacrifice for the city in this profession will never be forgot ever. So thank you. And so uh, before I end the show, let's go ahead and have a moment of silence for the fallen officer, Peter Allen Grignon. Thank you, Peter. We appreciate your sacrifice, brother. We love you. Keep watching over us down here. We have the watch and we will continue to hold the line. Peter Grigman is 10-7. May he rest in peace.